Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911, one man car. My name is Jesse Romero. <clears throat> Welcome to the show. Today, the last couple of days, obviously, uh, because of the impact of Easter and the resurrection, I want to talk about what that means for us. The whole Paschal mystery, Christ, his death, his suffering, death, and resurrection. I want to do a deep dive into the Bible so you can see, wow, this is what it means. Okay. I know a lot of us as Catholics, we're always hearing this term, redemption, redemption, or redeem. It's in the sacred liturgy. It's in many of the songs. It's in our prayers as Catholic. And so I want to talk about what, what does redemption mean? To redeem means to buy back. To redeem means to regain possession of. To redeem means to exchange something for money or goods. To redeem, it also means, this is the most important definition for us as Catholic Christians. <clears throat> to redeem means to free or rescue someone or something from distress, harm, captivity, or obligation by, being, by paying a price, a sacrifice, or performance. Additionally, <clears throat> redemption means to make something better or more acceptable by improving or correcting it. The definition that fits more with us as New Testament Christians is redemption, meaning to free or rescue someone or something from distress, harm, captivity, by paying a price, by paying a sacrifice. That's the definition that I'm going to be using today. The Bible says... Here's some verses on redemption, on Jesus Christ buying us back with his blood. Here's a few Bible verses on redemption. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13. The Bible says, By your own blood, O Lord, you have been brought near all who were far away. Close quote. That's the verse that talks clearly about the effects of the blood of Jesus, it says, you, that's us sinners, have been brought near all who are far away. All of us were far away from God because of sin. Jesus brought us near by the shedding of his blood. First Peter 1, 18 to 19, the Bible says, realizing that you were ransomed from your futile conduct, handed on by your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a spotless, unblemished lamb. Close quote. Notice, notice the wording there. That we were ransomed with what? Not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. You were ransomed. In other words, that just, that just defined what is redemption. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, 
the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to, to bring good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted. Here it is. Here it is. Here's redemption. To proclaim liberty to the captives, to release the prisoners. That last sentence, that's, that's a reference to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It just described what he did. Redemption. To proclaim liberty to the captives, released to the prisoners. Isaiah chapter 41, Isaiah 42, verse 6 and 7. Here's another verse that talks about the redemption of Christ or the Messiah. It says, I, the Lord, have called you for justice. I have grasped you by the hand. I formed you and set you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind. Here it is. Here it is. Redemption. To bring out prisoners from confinement and from the dungeon, those who live in darkness. That last sentence describes what Christ did to bring out prisoners from confinement and from dungeons, those who live in darkness. How how did Christ ransom us? By his precious blood, by his precious blood. That's how the ransom, the redemption was accomplished. Acts chapter 16, verses 22 to 27. The Bible says, The crowd joined in the attack on them, and the magistrates had them stripped and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After inflicting many blows on them, the apostles, they threw them into prison and instructed the jailer to guard them secretly. When he received these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and secured their feet to a stake. Now look what's going to happen. Now look at the deliverance that's going to happen here. Verse 25. About midnight, while Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, as the prisoners listened, there was, there was suddenly, there was suddenly such a severe earthquake that the foundations of the jail shook. Here it is. All the doors flew open and the chains of all were pulled loose. Did you catch that? As the prisoners listened, there was an earthquake. And what happened? All the doors flew open and the chains of all were pulled loose. When the jailer woke up, he saw the prison doors wide open. He drew a sword and was about to kill himself, thinking the prisoners had escaped. That story is a definition of redemption. Prisoners listening, God working a miracle, jail doors flying open, chains falling off. That's the definition of redemption. Here's another definition of redemption. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You are not your own. You were, here it is, you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price. What price? The blood of Jesus. Redemption means to free or rescue someone from distress or harm or captivity or jail by paying a price or a sacrifice. That's what Jesus Christ did. He redeemed us. He bought us back. 
Now, what's so powerful about the cross? All of us have seen crucifixes all our life as Catholic Christians. So what's so powerful about this old rugged cross? The cross is a war memorial. That's the spot where we beat our enemy. The foot of the cross is the place of our redemption, which stands outside of time and space. Calvary is the place where Satan was vanquished. In Latin, there's a saying that goes like this, quote, crux stat dum volvitur mundum, close quote, which means the cross remains still while the world revolves around it, close quote. In the Eastern tradition, the foot of the cross was thought to be the center of the world, situated directly over hell. The foot of the cross for believers is that place where all humans may spiritually retreat to receive refreshment and grace. The foot of the cross is the ultimate tribunal where Christ judges all demons because it is where Satan himself was judged. <clears throat> Dr. Peter Crave says, Calvary is judo. The enemy's own powers used to defeat him. Satan's ends, Good Friday, was God's means to save the world. When the devil watched Jesus die on the cross, he mistakenly believed he had won a great victory. Instead, the Lord surprised him with an ignominious, humiliating, shameful defeat. From the first Easter morning through the present, the sign of the cross makes the devil cower and flee. On one level, then, making the sign is a defensive move, declaring our inviolability to the devil's influence but more importantly the sign is also an offensive weapon helping us reclaim reclaim with with christ all that satan lost at the cross it announces our cooperation with jesus in the indomitable advance of the kingdom of god against the kingdom of darkness first corinthians chapter 2 verse 8 says everything you need to know about the cross. First Corinthians 2 8 says, quote, none of the rulers of this age, that's a reference to Satan and his minions, none of the rulers of this age, Satan, understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, the devil wasn't sure if Jesus Christ was a Messiah. But when he died, <laughs> he definitely knew that that was a son of God. And I'll tell you why in the next segment. If you, if you notice, this is why in an exorcism or deliverance session, a priest will order the demons to go to the foot of the cross so that our Lord may do with them as he wills. The foot of the cross is where the battle has, has won, was won by the shedding of his blood, which now makes atonement and pays the sin debt between God and men. Our Lord fulfilled a spiritual law that angels and demons are well aware of. Hebrews 9.22 Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. We'll be right back. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency... 
Dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. What's so powerful about the foot of the cross? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, this Bible verse demonstrates that the devil and demons, they were not sure the whole time that Jesus was on planet Earth. They were not sure if our Lord Jesus Christ was the Son of God and the Messiah. They weren't sure. And the Bible confirms this because it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, quote, None of the rulers of this age, this is a reference to Satan and his demons, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, the demons didn't know, as Dr. Peter Craig says, Christ did Judah on them. Christ used their plan against them to redeem the world by shedding his blood. As it says in Hebrews 9.22, our Lord fulfilled a spiritual law that all angels and demons are aware of. It's in Hebrews 9.22, which says everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it says, just so the son of man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many ransom, ransom, ransom. In other words, to give one, to give one's life that refers to martyrdom. And uh, the Greek word for martyrdom is litron. Litron means ransom. Litron means ransom. Ransom in in, in the Greek New Testament conveys the idea of deliverance by purchase on behalf of a captive, a slave, or a criminal. And in, in, Mar, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, where it says he came to give his life as a ransom for many, the quote, for many, close quote, echoes Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11 and 12. The whole clause presents Jesus' death as affecting a deliverance that could not be that could not be brought about by the many through their own power. In other words, the only person who can redeem the world is not the many by their own power. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I also want to remind you about the movie The Passion of the Christ back in 2004, the Mel Gibson movie where Jim Caviezel played our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a dialogue in one of the scenes where the devil says in the garden of Gethsemane to our Lord Jesus Christ, who's about to start his passion. He, he, uh, he basically says, do you really believe that that one man can bear the full burden of sin? So the conversation goes like this in the movie of the passion. Our Lord Jesus responds. The devil says, do you really believe that one man can bear the full burden of sin? Our Lord Jesus responds, Shelter me, O Lord, I trust in you. In you I take refuge. Satan says, quote, No man, no one man can, can carry this burden. I tell you, it is far too heavy. Saving their souls is too costly. No one ever, no, never. Then Jesus responds, Father, you can do all things if it is possible. Let this chalice pass from me, but, but let your will be done, not mine. Satan says, who is your father? Who are you? Notice the devil doesn't realize who Jesus really is. 
So it appears that the devil in the frightening isolation, in the frightening isolation this scene depicts, the devil is expressing rage and torment at his defeat or his um, impending defeat. The devil's prediction in the garden about the inability of one man to bear the full burden of sin was proved false. Jesus was actually able to go through with the passion and to accomplish his redemptive mission. The devil was completely defeated at Calvary. The words that were used in this movie by Mel Gibson in the dialogue between Satan and our Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane, these words were actually borrowed from Caiaphas. Caiaphas, the wicked high priest, his prophetic words were when he said in John chapter 11, verse 50 to 51, he says, you know nothing at all. You do not understand that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation should not perish. Close quote. Caiaphas did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation. So those are the words that Mel Gibson accommodated and put in the lips of Satan. But let me give you one Bible verse that explains what happened at Calvary. The Bible verse is in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Pay attention because this verse is going to explain the theology of the cross and you're going to understand what the crucifix means next time you look at one. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. The Bible says, And you, that's all of us sinners, who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in him. Close quote. Verse 14 and 15 are deep. I'm going to do a deep dive and you're going to understand what Christ did on Calvary. Let me explain this. So, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. This indicates that most of the Colossians are Gentiles in need of baptism. That's all that says. All of us as Gentiles are in need of baptism because we're all born under the wrath of sin, original sin. And so, St. Paul is writing to the Colossians that they need baptism. Now, verse 14 and 15 are powerful verse 14 it said where saint paul talks about having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to a cross so verse 14 the bond in the old testament and the new testament is a list is a list of charges filed against a sinful human family it's like a criminal complaint in in the American criminal justice system. The bond is a criminal complaint against the human family. 
Christ destroyed this legal certificate on the cross when he canceled our debt of guilt, when he canceled our debt of guilt and won pardon for our crimes. In this scheme, Jesus mounted the cross to bear the curses of the old covenant so that the blessings of the new could flow forth to the world, as it says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. As further benefits, as a, as a further benefit, Christ frees us from the ceremonial observances of the old covenant, which merely signified our need for salvation in the first place. Now, verse 15, where it says, He, Jesus, disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in him. So verse 15, the reference to disarming the principalities and powers, these are legions of demonic spirits that Christ conquered dramatically on the cross. Paul depicts this in terms of a victory march, recalling how the Roman generals dragged prisoners of war through city streets to be disgraced and ridiculed after a successful a successful military campaign. Prisoners of war were displayed during the parade while these captives were led along in chains in disgrace and sometimes executed at the end of the march. Just think of the movie Troy where Achilles, Brad Pitt, defeats Prince Prince Hector, who was uh, played by Eric Banas. He kills him and he drags him behind his chariot. This is what the conquering king would do to the king that he defeated. He would drag his body on a rope or in chains at the end of a chariot in disgrace. Well, guess what? What this verse says is that the demonic powers are disarmed and disgraced by the conquering Christ like prisoners of war. That's what happened on the cross. This is why in exorcism or deliverance, a priest will order demons to go to the foot of the cross so that our Lord may do with them as he wills because the foot of the cross is where the battle was won. The foot of the cross is where the battle was won. God the Father said to St. Catherine, Understand, my children, that the road had been so broken up by Adam's sin and disobedience that none of you could reach your destination. And so my truth was not being realized, the truth that I had created you in my image and likeness, so that you would have eternal life, sharing and enjoying me supreme goodness. This sin sprouted thorns and brambles in the form of many difficulties, along with the river continually dashing with its waves. And that is why I have given you my son as a bridge so that you won't drown while crossing the river. But open your mind's eye and see how this bridge reaches from heaven to earth. Certainly, if it were of the earth, it can never be made long enough to span the river and give you life. So my son joined the height of heaven, the divine nature with the earth of your human nature. You must therefore keep to this bridge by seeking the glory of my name and the salvation of souls by enduring all your labors and pain, by following in the footsteps of this gentle, loving word, you are my workers whom I have set to work in the vineyard of Holy Church because I want to be merciful to the world. <clears throat> here's a four classic, here's a quick summary of salvation history. 
The four C's of classical biblical history of the universe are called creation, corruption, catastrophe, and Christ. Creation, which refers to acts which God brought into being, time, matter, space, energy, life, all working together in a paradise of perfect peace according to his divine plan and purpose. Corruption refers to how the effects of of, of uh, human evil ruin God's handiwork, bringing disease, disaster, and death. Number three, catastrophe. That refers to the worldwide flood by which God destroyed the wickedness of the ancient world to give it a fresh start with Noah and those with him on the ark. And then Christ. Christ is the one who conquered death and the one who's coming again to restore paradise lost, to establish eternal life rich and abundant both now and forever in the new heavens and earth. The whole story of the Bible is paradise lost, is, is now paradise regained. On the next segment... I'm going to share with you what Venerable Mary of Agreda says what happened at the foot of the cross as Christ was dying. You don't want to miss it. Stick around. We'll be right back. Now. Back to Jesus. Jesus 911, we're back. My name is Jesse Romero. <clears throat> I want to share with you what Venerable Mary of Agreda says. Now, let me tell you who she is. And this is going to have a lot of... <clears throat> this is going to blow you away. Venerable Mary of Agreda, the Blessed Virgin Mary, told her the following... And she wrote a book, it's called The Mystical City of God. The Mystical City of God, most of this book was dictated to this nun, Mary, Venerable Mary of Agreda, by the Blessed Virgin Mary herself. So I'm going to t- share with you a section, this is chapter 10 of The Mystical City of God, The Victory of Christ Over Hell, as reported by Venerable Mary of Agreda. She was a Spanish nun. She wrote this book, The Mystical City of God, dictated to her by the Blessed Virgin Mary. <clears throat> Mary of Agreda was a mystic and a visionary. She had the gift of bilocation, and her body remains incorrupt after 350 years. Venerable Mary of Agreda was born on April 2nd, 1602, in Agreda, Spain. Um, she she took the blue habit and made her vows as a nun in the Franciscan order. And in 1627, she became the abbess of the Agreda Franciscan Monastery until her death by natural causes on May 24th, 1665. The process to declare her a saint began almost immediately after her death in 1672 as she had lived a life of evident holiness in the eyes of her contemporaries. Her bilocation activity is said to have occurred about 500 times between her cloistered monastery in rural Spain and the Indians of central New Mexico, West Texas, as well as Tucson, Arizona. So she she bilocated to the United States about 500 times. She also inspired many Franciscan missionaries in the New World. The most famous of these writings is the mystical city of God. 
It's the divine history of the Virgin Mother of God, which had been dictated by the Virgin Mary herself. Even after her death, Venerable Sister Mary of Agreda continues to defy the rationalists and non and non-believers. Be, her body is kept in her convent. It's incorrupt. And like a small number of deceased mystics and Catholic saints, the nun's body refuses to naturally decay even after 350 long years, or over 350 long years, actually. So here's what the Blessed Virgin Mary told this nun, and she wrote this on chapter 10 of her book, The Mystical City of God. The chapter's called The Victory of Christ Over Hell. And you're going to hear the way the, the Blessed Mother describes where the demons are forced to witness their final victory with the ultimate sacrifice of Christ on Calvary to, to redeem all mankind. So here's what it says. Lucifer and his demons in the course of the life and miracles our Savior never could ascertain fully whether the Lord was true God and Redeemer of the world and consequently what the dignity of the Most Holy Mary was. This was so disposed by divine providence in order that the whole mystery of the incarnation and the redemption of the human race might be, for, might be more fittingly accomplished. Lucifer, although knowing that God was to assume flesh, nevertheless knew nothing of the manner and the circumstances of the incarnation. So here, the Blessed Mother tells Venerable Mary of Agreda that the devil didn't know Jesus was God incarnate. Next paragraph. <clears throat> Venerable Mary of Agreda writes, Lucifer and his demons, as soon as they saw the Lord taking the cross upon his sacred shoulders, wished to fly and cast themselves into hell. For at that moment, they began to feel with greater force the operations of his divine power. By divine intervention, this new torment made them aware that the death of this innocent man, whose destruction they had plotted, and who could not be a mere man, threatened great ruin to themselves. They therefore desired to withdraw, and they ceased to incite the Jews and the executioners as they had done hitherto. I'll read that last sentence again. By divine intervention, this new torment made, made aware that the death of this innocent man, whose destruction the demons had plotted, could not be a mere man threaten great ruin to themselves. They, therefore, the, the demons, desired to withdraw, and they ceased to incite the Jews and, ex, and the executioners as they had done hitherto. So, Venerable Mary of Agreda is describing that as Jesus Christ is dying, they can see his divine nature, his divine power. Uh, they can feel the force the power of his divine nature coming through his human death. And as a result of that, the demons at that moment knew, they knew that he could not, he could not be a mere man. He was more than a man, more than a carpenter. And the demons also desired to withdraw their, to their plan because they saw the divine operation. Jesus Christ in some way, shape or form his death on the cross is making his, his death is more powerful. They can feel the greater force of the operations coming from his divine power. Then 
Mary, Venerable Mary of Greater writes, but the command of the bless of the most blessed Mary enforced by the divine power detained the demons and chained like fiercest dragons compelled them to accompany Christ to Calvary. The ends of the mysterious chain that, that, that bound these demons were placed in the hands of Mary, the great queen who by the power of her divine son held them all in subjection and bondage. Although the demons many times sought to break away and raged in helpless fury, they could not overcome the power of the heavenly lady. She forced them to come to Calvary and to stand around the cross. She commanded them to remain motionless and witness the end of the great mysteries there entrusted, enacted for the salvation of men and the ruin of themselves. This is, this is powerful. So the demons are seeing that divine power is coming from the power from the cross. From the death of this, of, of this Jewish carpenter, divine power is being unleashed throughout the world. The demons see this. The demons want to withdraw. This is affecting the demons negatively as they can feel the force of the operations of the divine power. The demons try to flee Calvary. They regret what they had done. They, they, they regret inciting the Jews and the executioners. The demons want to flee. Mary chains all the demons. <laughs> Think about, you know, a dog on a chain with a, with a metal collar. Mary put a metal collar on all these demons, chained them, and forced the demons to watch her son dying on the cross. She forced them to remain motionless. And she forced them to witness the great power of, by, of the shed blood of Jesus that was being unleashed for the world, the salvation of mankind, and to the ruin of hell itself. <clears throat> Venerable Mary of Agreda writes, The Savior then pronounced the first words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. By these words, the princes of darkness came to the full conviction that Christ our Lord was speaking to the Eternal Father, that He was His natural Son, and the true God with Him and the Holy Ghost, that He had permitted death in His most sacred and perfect humanity, united to the divinity for the salvation of the whole human race, that now He offered His, his infinitely precious merits for the pardon of the sins of all those children of Adam who should avail themselves thereof for their rescue, not accepting even the wretches that crucified Him. At this discovery... Lucifer and his demons were thrown into such fury and despair that they instantly wished to hurl themselves impetuously to the depths of hell and strained all their powers to accomplish it in spite of the powerful queen. So, when Christ said his first words, the demons are recognizing by these words that, that he was his natural son and the, and the true God with him in the Holy Ghost, they recognized that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, God incarnate. In the second word spoken by the Lord to the fortunate thief, Amen, I say to thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise, the demons understood the fruits of the redemption and the justification of sinners ended in the glorification of the just. They were made aware that from this hour, the merits of Christ would commence to act with a new force and strength that through them, should be opened the gates of paradise, which had been closed by the first man, by the first sin, Adam. And, f- and from now on, men would enter upon eternal happiness and occupy their destined heavenly seats, which until now had been impossible for them. So the demons also saw this. 
the demons saw that uh, the saved men, the elect, they would now occupy the heavenly seats in heaven, which were once occupied by a third of the fallen angels. When they were good angels, the fallen angels had now had lost their seats in heaven. These are not taken. These are not taken over by the saints. At the third word spoken by the Lord to his mother, woman, behold thy son. The demons discovered that this heavenly lady was a true mother of the God-man, the same woman whose likeness and prophetic sign had been shown to them in the heavens at their creation, and who was to crush their head as announced by the Lord in the terrestrial paradise. They were in, the demons were informed of the dignity and excellence of this great lady over all the cent, over all centuries, and her power which they were even now experiencing. As they had from the beginning of, of the world and from the creation of the first woman, used all their astuteness to find out who this great woman that was announced in the heavens could be. And as they now discovered her in Mary, whom they had until now overlooked, these dragons were seized with inexpressible fury. The fourth word of Christ was addressed to the Eternal Father. We'll continue talking about the vision of Mary of Agreda and what she says, what spiritually happened at the foot of the cross. This is mind-blowing. We'll be right back. Stick around. Back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. What happened on Calvary when Christ was dying for our sins? I'm giving you chapter 10 of the book, The Mystical City of God. Uh, Venerable Mary of Agreda, a mystic, she had the gift of bilocation. She also, her body's been incorrupt for over 350 years. This section is called the victory of Christ over hell. This was dictated to Venerable Mary of Agreda by the Blessed Virgin Mary herself. And at the third word spoken by our Lord to his mother, woman, behold thy son. It was at that moment that Mary of Agreda tells us, or the Blessed Mother tells us, that the demons recognize that Mary was the woman of Genesis 3.15 at that moment. The demons recognize Mary was the woman of Genesis 3.15. The fourth word of Christ was addressed to the eternal father. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? The evil spirits discovered in these words that the charity of God towards men was boundless and everlasting and that in order to satisfy it, he had mysteriously suspended the influence of the divinity over his most sacred humanity, thus permitting his sufferings to reach the highest degree and to draw from them the most abundant fruits that he was aware and lovingly complained of his being deprived of the salvation of a part of the human race. How ready he was to suffer more if such would be ordained by the eternal father. The fifth word of Christ, I thirst, confirmed Christ's triumph over the devil and his followers. They were filled with wrath and fear because the Lord clearly let them see their total overthrow. By these words, the demons understood our Lord to say to them, if what I suffer for men, if my love for them seems, seems, seem great to you, be assured that my love for them is still unsatiated, that it continues to long for their eternal salvation. 
and that the mighty waters of torments and sufferings have not extinguished it. Much more would I suffer for the human race if it were necessary in order to deliver them from your, tyr- your demonic tyranny, tyranny and make them powerful and strong against malice and pride. In the sixth, in the sixth word of the Lord, it is consummated. Lucifer and his hordes of demons were informed that the mystery of the incarnation and redemption are now accomplished and entirely perfected according to the decree of divine wisdom. For they were made to feel that Christ, our Redeemer, had obediently fulfilled the will of the Eternal Father, that he had accomplished all the promises and prophecies made to the world by the ancient fathers, that this humility and obedience had compensated for their own pride and disobedience in heaven, and having not subjected themselves and acknowledged him as their superior in human flesh, and that they were now, through the wisdom of God, just humbly and vanished by the very Lord whom they despised. The great dignity and the infinite merits of Christ demanded that in this very hour he he should exercise his office and power of judge over angels and men, such as had been conceded to him by the Eternal Father. He now applied this power by hurling this sentence at Lucifer and all his followers, that being condemned to eternal fire, they instantly departed into the deepest dungeons of hell. This very sentence was included in the pronouncing of the seventh word, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The evil spirits were routed from Calvary when Christ said these words and precipitated to the deepest parts of hell more violently and suddenly than a flash of light through the riven clouds. As soon as Lucifer was permitted to proceed in these matters and arise from the consternation in which he remained for some time, he set about proposing to his fellow demons new plans of his pride. He said, O men, so favored and gifted by your God whom I abhor and so ardently loved by him, how shall I hinder your good fortune? How shall I bring about you my unhappiness since I cannot destroy the existence you have received? What shall we now begin, O my followers? How shall we restore our reign? Against the law of this Redeemer and against those that follow it, I intend, direct all, I intend to direct all my wrath and fury and I shall most bitterly persecute those who hear the doctrine of this Redeemer and become his disciples. Against, their, against these must our relentless battle be waged to the end of the world. So Satan, because he knows that, that Christ redeemed the entire human race, what does it mean he redeemed the human race? All of us were on one man's cells. On death row, we were all prisoners of war on one man's cells. Jesus Christ opened the cell doors. The doors are open. We can now walk out as free men and follow Christ. So what the devil is going to do for the rest of his life, he's going to make sure we stay in that, in that prison cell. Even though Christ opened the doors by his bloodshed on Calvary, The demons are going to try to do their best through temptation to keep us in our prison cells that we would just stay in the corner in a fetal position uh, full of fear and hopelessness and never walk out of that jail cell not realizing that Christ has already opened the gate. We can walk out as free men and free women. So the devil, he will spend, and demons will spend the rest of our life because God made us in his image and likeness. 
So what do the demons want to do? They want to remake us in their image and likeness. And what is the image and likeness of demons? Pure evil. Pure evil. God made us in his image and likeness. The devil and demons will spend the rest of their life on planet earth remaking us in their image and likeness. That's what they do. Chapter 10 ends with these words of the Blessed Virgin Mary. It says this, quote, This close imitation and living reproduction of Christ confronting the demons in the first children of the church they fear so much that they dared not approach and they precipitously fled from the apostles and the just ones imbued with the doctrines of my divine son. What is seen in the saints and in perfect Christians in those times would happen in the present times with all the Catholics if they would accept grace and work, work with it instead of permitting it to go to waste. And if they would seek the way of the cross, for Lucifer fears it as much now as in the times thou has been writing of. But soon the charity, zeal, and devotion in many a faithful began to grow cold, and they forgot the blessings of the redemption. They yielded to their carnal inclinations and desires. They loved vanity and avarice and permitted themselves to be fascinated and deceived by the false pretenses of Lucifer, obscuring the glory of their Savior and inveigling them into the meshes of their mortal enemies. This foul ingratitude has thrown the world into the present state and has encouraged the demons to rise up in their pride against God, audaciously presuming to possess themselves of all the children of Adam on account of this forgetfulness and carelessness of Catholics. So, as a, as a few final thoughts, what can I say that happened on Calvary? Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, he paid a debt that he didn't owe because we owe a debt to God the Father that we cannot pay. Christian sentiment thinks of the cross as a tree of life that awaits us in paradise restored. From the tree of life flows the grace of the Holy Spirit that reaches us through God's word and all the sacraments. Those who sink their roots into that stream of grace bear like the tree life-giving fruit in prayer and in deeds of kindness, justice, and mercy for all. Yes, the paradise loss of Genesis becomes becomes a paradise regained of revelation the gate of the tree of the tree of life is closed in the book of genesis it is open forevermore in the book of revelation so god doesn't want slaves he wants sons and daughters but god cannot override the free will of each man when saint thomas aquinas sister asked him how to obtain salvation, St. Thomas answered her with one phrase, will it? Nothing is more necessary. Will it? This is why the conditions of, the conditions of salvation may be reduced to a single one, a single one verse, which was proclaimed by the angels at Bethlehem, which is peace on earth to peace of men, 
Peace on earth to men of good will. Peace on earth to men of good will. God did not say peace on earth to men of good character. He did not say peace on earth to men of good genius. He did not say peace on earth to men of good deeds. Nor did he say peace on earth to men of good virtue. No, he said peace on earth to men of good will. Our will has to be aligned with God's will in order for us to be saved. My name is Jesse Romero. It's been a joy sharing with you the uh, what happened on Calvary, what the effects of Christ's death on the cross and what it did spiritually in the, in the realm of the spirit, in the realm of the invisible, what happened on Calvary. And uh, this is why as Catholics, let's not forget that the paradise lost of Genesis has become the paradise regained in the book of Revelation. Brothers and sisters in Christ, remember, Christ has died, that happened. Christ has risen, that happened. Christ will come again. That's all that needs to happen. Hey, if you if you like the show, you can share the show by you can support the show by sharing the full show link at vmpr.org. You can also find us on social media at VMP Radio and our YouTube channel called Full Sheen Ahead. You can share us with your friends and evangelize everybody that you love. Remember, the month of April is dedicated both to the the devotion to the Holy Eucharist and devotion to the Holy Spirit. The, The tradition has developed because Easter Sunday often falls in April, and in essence, April's the month of Easter, and during the Easter celebration, we remember the Eucharistic sacrifice Christ gave us at the Last Supper and the gift of the Holy Spirit to make us fishers of men. That's a wrap. Up next, you'll hear more from Gary Machuda, the big guy coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jesus 911, our flagship verse, Psalm 69, verse 2. God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. See you next time. Keep the faith.